Joy to the world. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Ooh, really? You all merry for Christmas? Wow. Should we try it again? Try a do-over? Good evening, everyone. Oh, I feel warm at heart already. I, I'm just ready for Christmas now. Uh, Brandon, Christmas Eve is going to be good for me now for tomorrow. So thanks for getting them jazzed up, though. I know it was a little weak. Uh, what a great video. It's a wonderful picture of taking the world's horror and placing over it the hope of this season. Our theme tonight is classic Christmas. And as you see the display up here that our worship team is going to be sitting in uh, after the message for an acoustical set, um, think about maybe some of your childhood memories of Christmas. I said the first service, I think that sofa is just almost like one that my wife's parents had when I was dating her. Get the old quilt there, and that old radio reminds me, uh, my dad's going to be uh, 89 in a couple of weeks, and I remember him telling me stories about sitting around an ancient radio, listening to uh, radio broadcasts, a story of the um, Tom Mix and the shadow, and you shouldn't know who those are. Um, unless you're very, very elderly. Um, uh, probably was a bigger radio than that that he listened to sitting on the floor and so forth. Classic Christmas. But I want us to take us back tonight, not to your childhood memories of your Christmas, whether it's 1990 or two, 2000 or 1950 or 1930. I want to go back to the ultimate classic Christmas, back to the original Christmas. And if you have a Bible along tonight, we're going to read from Luke chapter 2. If not, it's going to be up on the screen, and you can just follow there. Um, we are going through, um, here at Keystone, we're going through a study of the book of Luke, and we just happened to land on the Christmas passages over Christmas. And so if you want to hear more, uh, we'll be together Sunday a week at 9 o'clock and 1035. <clears throat> Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll read uh, from verse 8 down through 20. Father, it is a wonderful time of year. We um, enjoy the gift-giving and the gift-getting. We enjoy the lights that are strung um, outside people's homes as well as the ones inside uh, trees in our family room or living room. Uh, we enjoy uh, the exchange of cookies and candies and an opportunity to tell somebody something that we didn't get around to saying all year. Uh, we love the opportunity to get together with friends and family um, this weekend and through the, uh, maybe through the week next week, get together with colleagues at work and enjoy some good food together. But underneath all of that is something far more significant and some great meals, some good fellowship and friends. Something that has eternal consequences. Something that has hope for more than a meal or a friendship. Something that has a hope for not just this kind of person or that kind of person, but hope for the whole world. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you that you didn't just let us in our um, tragic state and say, well, you made your bed. Guess you're going to have to lay in it. Thank you that you came and offered us the solution that we could not create for ourselves. 
And I would pray that you would bind the enemy tonight and you would unleash the Holy Spirit, that we would have uh, those of us who know Christ, that our hope would be enriched. And for those who don't, this might be another kind of piece of the puzzle for some people tonight as they hear about uh, your regard for people that often aren't regarded as much by others in this world. Thanks for Jesus. Amen. So last Sunday we read the first seven verses, which Luke 2 showed the actual birth of Jesus. And now we're going to read the verses that, were, that tells about the actual announcement of the birth of Jesus and the first people that heard that announcement. <clears throat> that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. That had to be especially interesting to them that he said they were included. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on, to, on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let us go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. <clears throat> now I'm going to speak tonight about the shepherds as nobodies. And my guess is that most, maybe all of us can identify in some way about what it feels like to be a nobody. These nobodies lear learned and apparently were the first to learn the good news. Now they're scared to death. An angel shows up, starts to talk to them, and it, rightfully says in verse 10 they're terrified i don't know what an angel looks like i don't know if you've ever seen an angel i haven't but i can suspe suspect what he might have looked like the bible tells us that when jesus was transfigured in the mount transfiguration with moses and elijah that his appearance was transformed and that his clothes became whiter than any laundromat could ever get them and it was dazzling to look at. My guess is that's how the angel looked. I mean, he comes from another world. He comes from another existence, probably very bright. And you've got to think, and especially as we're going to talk about who shepherds were, that they're wondering, am I in trouble? And quickly the angel reassures him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I bring you good news that will be great joy, great joy to all people. Now that little phrase good news if I were to ask you what would be good news to you you might say well good news is I got a raise or I got a uh, I got the job I applied for 
Um, good news is uh, we're going to have a baby. Or good news is that she said yes. Or good news is I got to be on the test that I thought I was going to flunk. Good news is I made the team. Good news is they caught the fellow that robbed the grocery store. On and on and on and on. We know what good news is. But the good news that the angel was talking about that night is a, is a technical term that had become for the early church a declaration of this wonderful plan that God had as he looked down on humanity and saw that they had violated every law that he established with them and that that was their bent, that was their natural inclination and that because God's plan or his, his requirement was perfection, that means that all of us were in very big trouble so when the angel said good news, people in the early church heard good news to mean God sent his one and only son to the earth to become human so that he could live a perfect life, die a perfect death, not for his own sin, but for other people, and come back to life verifying that he could do what he said he had done. So good news, wonderful. Well, we, use it, we say it like this here at Keystone. And Jesus Christ died and rose again to save sinners like me. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. In essence, the essence of the good news is that Jesus came and Jesus served. Some of your translations, if you have a Bible, it says the gospel. That's really what gospel means. It means good news. So he wasn't just telling the shepherds good news. Um, nobody's stealing your sheep tonight. Good news. You're going to get vacation next week. Who's saying good news? The Messiah that all of Israel has been waiting for for a millennia and a half has finally, finally come. Messiah. Now, the shepherds, as I said, could have been, uh, should have been, probably did, felt like they were nobodies. Now, you and I feel like nobodies when a group that we care about kind of puts us on the outside and doesn't draw us in. Uh, we feel um, like we're nobodies when we um, aren't attractive enough or, or we're divorced or maybe we're single or we don't fit in with a group at school. We're not in with the jocks. We're not in with the um, you know, the bright students academically, um, at work, we don't, we feel like a nobody because we're treated a certain way, maybe because we're a Christian. Uh, we feel like we're a nobody because we have an accent. People look at us funny or they say, what, when we try to speak? There are a thousand reasons that in our existence, we conclude I'm not really worth much. One of the interesting things that I've discovered in, in being a pastor over the years, something I never anticipated, is how many people feel like nobodies and think that all the people around them, particularly in the church, feel like somebody. And I'm like, no, I, I, I've talked to most of those people. They feel like nobodies as well. Maya Angelou, who just passed away a couple of years ago, was successful at probably everything she tried. Uh, she was a um, civil rights activist. She was a, um, a, a film director. She was a, a producer. She was a poet. She was a best-selling author. Um, she made music that was recorded. Um, she, she, was, she wrote pieces for inaugural uh, addresses when pe presidents would be uh, inaugurated. She received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And yet she says, every time I write a book, she says, I think something like this. Uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. 
And most of us have that kind of feeling from time to time. We feel like we're posers, like we're frauds. If anybody really gets inside us and finds out who we are, at least who we think we are, they're going to realize I'm a nobody. Well, you and I have good company in the shepherds. Now, shepherds, we think of shepherds as like, okay, this is a different variation of a farmer. Not so. When the Israelites moved into Egypt and were fleeing the famine, most of them were shepherds, and the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. They said, we're glad to have you here, but you have to live out there. When they fled Egypt and went out into the wilderness, this was their main wealth, their herds, their flocks that they took with them. But when they conquered the land of Palestine and began to build homes and settle down, the herds and the flocks lost some of the importance that it previously had. Why? Because if you have land that you can grow crops on, uh, that's, that's more the life of a, of a farmer. You're not moving from place to place to find, try and find good uh, ground for your uh, herds to graze on. And so increasingly, shepherds were a, a more and more despised minority. Uh, you were a shepherd only if you could do nothing else. If you're part of the laboring class and your dad isn't a merchant or he doesn't have a trade or, or he's not a Levite or something, then this is what you do. And you don't do it because you want to get ahead. You do it just because there's nothing else that you can do. Even the religious leaders looked down on the shepherds. In fact, in the um, Jewish oral law, which is called the Mishnah, where, where the rabbis would say, okay, we understand the law of Moses to mean this. Here's the application for that. They actually described shepherds in the Mishnah as despicable. In fact, they said, if you come across a shepherd who has fallen into a pit, you are not obligated to pull him out. You know what the religious leaders called the shepherds as a, 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 as a group? These this occupation, they called them sinners. Now, I don't mean in the theological sense that you've offended God and you've sinned against God, but as a, a socio-cultural sense that this is what we call a despised group of people, sinners. They didn't have any civil rights. They weren't allowed to testify in court. It's it was said that if a shepherd came up to you and offered to sell you wool or milk or a kid goat, you better not buy it from him because it's probably been stolen. These are not just second-class citizens. These are fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. And isn't it interesting that the first pronouncement of the Son of God's human birth on earth was made to shepherds. First thing they do is say, let's go see. Let's, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has told us about. And I, I'm like, first of all, you have a responsibility here. I, I, you just talked to the angel, and yeah, you saw angelic choirs, but is your faith really that strong that you believe that without a doubt, without checking with someone to see whether or not they thought that this was legit, they said, let's go see this thing that the Lord has told us about. They believed this was God, had given him a message, and they believed that what he had told them was true. And so they leave their flocks. Presumably a couple of the shepherds stayed behind. They left their flocks. They went into Bethlehem. They're not far out of town, probably. Maybe a half an hour to find the house of Bethlehem. As we said last week, 
maybe 300 to 1,000 people living in Bethlehem at that time. Not many, uh, probably not many newborns that night and certainly no other newborns that were being kept in a little feeding trough in a barn or perhaps the back portion of a house where they brought the animals in for the night. And so the shepherds go in and they, they look around. They find the baby and they look around and who else is there? Just a mom, dad, and a baby. No preacher showed up, no pastor to give a pastoral call and pray for them and say, how can the church help you? No worship leader shows up to, to lead everybody in Christmas carols. As far as we know, there were no relatives there, even though they had family in Bethlehem. There's no ambassadors there, no dignitaries from, from different regimes. And it's true, the Magi showed up, but they're on the way yet. They might not be here for weeks, maybe even months. We're just not sure exactly when they arrived. There's nobody there except Mary and Joseph, the baby, and some grungy shepherds that nobody thinks are somebody. Now, I, I doubt that they stayed very long. Mary probably had just had the baby. It says at the beginning of this text that that night, so Mary had the baby sometime that day. The shepherds have been informed, so maybe, maybe Mary just barely had time to clean the baby up and cover it up with these strips of cloth, put it in the, in the feeding trough until the, until the shepherds show up, so she's probably exhausted they go on their way. They're not going to stay there all that long. And what do they do? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was them, I'd go back to my flocks, and it's time for supper, and we'll share what we heard with maybe the neighboring shepherds and that flock over there and so forth. I, you know, we got things to do. Let's go back and pop open our smartphone and thrum, thumb through Facebook, see what the latest entries are in there, maybe catch a ball game on TV and make some lamb stew and verse 17 says as soon as they left this is what they did after seeing him the shepherds told everyone everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child I'm imagining them going down the street after they leave the family and people were talking outside their homes. They're just kind of standing around. It's evening time. Work is done. Maybe they have some bonfires around. And they're just making a nuisance of themselves. I remember the night my daughter was born, my first child, sitting right over there. And uh, we got to the hospital. I mean, it, things went fast. I think we were there less than an hour before she was born. And we are so excited uh, because the labor wasn't that long and strenuous, Betty was feeling pretty good fairly quickly, and so got her settled in for the night, and Shallon settled in for the night. And we had made a lot of phone calls from the hospital, and this is days, days before cell phones, so you've got to use the phones where they're at. And we called people from the hospital, and I may have left uh, the hospital around 10 o'clock or so, and on the way home, I'm stopping at different people's houses to tell them, hey, we had a baby, you know, I'm so excited, so amped up. I get home, I'm trying to think who else to call, and, and by now it's midnight. And I thought of this other couple that had kind of been on this journey with us, good friends from church, and 
I know they were excited about it, and I thought to myself, I, I should go see them. They'll want to hear. <laughs> By the way, if you have news like that or better, I don't want to hear at midnight. <laughs> Wait till morning. So uh, their house was just a couple of miles away. I drove over there, and it was the middle of summer. It was warm, but didn't have air conditioning uh, on. <clears throat> but the, door, the inside door was open, and the screen door was locked, you know. And so, it's, by now it's almost 12.30, and so I knock on the door. You know how a screen door knocks? You know, it rattles. Not, nothing happens. So I go louder. Boo, 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 boo. And I hear someone coming down the hall. This is a ranch house. Coming down the hall, and I hear in a far lower and far more gruff voice than he has, go, hey, who's out there? And I'm like, it's Keith. We had a little baby girl tonight. He flips the light on and he unlocks the door and he invites me in and he gets his wife to come out and we rejoice together. And I think of that same kind of thrill that must have been running through their souls as they're going from person to person, probably some of whom didn't really want to hear it not really sure what to believe, not really convinced that they had seen anything more than a baby. I mean, babies are born all the time. Seriously, have, do you have to get so excited about this? And I think about my, my own life, and if you're a Christian, maybe you can identify. I think about my own life, and, you know, in, in, not in a physical sense, but I've seen Jesus, too. And if you know Christ, you've seen Jesus too. You've encountered Jesus. And maybe for some of us, we look back over this last year or maybe the last five years and say, wow, I don't, I don't think I've ever had conversation like that with anybody about what I've seen. It's convicting to me, this instinctive Response that they had to the good news, great joy to all people. And so everybody has to hear. I'm convinced that nobody's have an asset that somebody's don't have. They have nothing to lose. They have no friends to lose, no respect to lose, no admiration of other people to lose no accolades that might be withdrawn, no opinions of others that matter. They've got nothing to lose. You, you think about the possibility, had God chosen to, <laughs> the first people he's going to announce the good news to, had he chosen people who had a lot to lose, would there have been this kind of response? Hey, let me tell you what we just saw i got to tell you what we just heard. It's unbelievable. You know, for 400 years, we thought God had abandoned us. We hadn't heard from him. We didn't even have a prophet in the land. All those promises way back there in the past, we thought they're not going to ever come to pass. But it is. He's here. They had nothing to lose. I wonder if that's why God went to them first. 
You see, tonight I'm talking to you about the gospel, but you're a safe crowd. I'm assuming by virtue of the fact that you chose to come here that you're prepared to hear whatever we have to say. But when we leave tonight and we go out those doors and we go out to our cars and we go back to our neighborhoods and we go back to our workplaces and we go back to our schools, we go back to our extended families maybe this weekend some of whom don't know Christ. Maybe, maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family and nobody knows Jesus there. Now suddenly, what ifs come into play? What if I talk about Jesus? Maybe I don't share the whole gospel. I just get the conversation started. What are they going to think? How are they going to react to me? Are they going to cut me off? Am I going to lose a friend? It's a great asset to have nothing to lose. No prestige, no power, no money, no friends, no nothing. I believe Christmas is fundamentally for nobodies because it's for despised sinners like the shepherds, like me, like us. Despised sinners who no longer believe that we can fix ourselves. You see, the Son of God didn't remain a baby. He grew up to be a man. Yeah, he taught and he, he healed and he cast out demons. But ultimately, the march was to his death. Lived that perfect life so that he could die a perfect death, not for his own sins, but for yours and for mine. And then was raised to life to prove that what he said, he did. He actually did. And the challenge for us as human beings is... None of us could, none of us could fix that. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how, try, how hard you try to behave yourself and how hard you try uh, not to do good, bad and to try to do evil. You can't do it well enough. A year between my uh, junior year in high school and senior year, this was back when NBC's news team was Huntley and Brinkley. Anybody remember that? Chet Huntley and David Brinkley, they were the news anchors at NBC, and uh, Chet um, Huntley retired that summer between my junior and senior year. And at his last broadcast, as they were closing out the half hour, that was before the 24-hour news channels, um, they're closing out their nightly half hour of news, he turned to his viewers and he said this. He said, be patient, and have courage, for there will be better and happier news one day if we work at it. Hmm. The good news is that the happiest news of all didn't come by our work. It came by the work of Jesus Christ, because that little baby that God placed in Mary's womb became our sin sacrifice, our Savior, and he took your place, and he took mine, doing the work we couldn't do. That's good news. That's Merry Christmas. Father, thank you for Jesus and for what you did at Christmas so long ago. And thanks that you were concerned enough about all people that when you started making your rounds, informing people and announcing the good news, 
you started with the lowliest of the lowly on the Palestinian hillsides. People who couldn't catch a break. Um, people that folks would cross to the other sides of the street to avoid if they were in the street. And people who wouldn't even be able to testify in court because they were nobody. Thanks for coming for nobodies, like the shepherds and like me.